everyone. I wanted to take a moment today to uh, go back into the Asbury Revival situation and provide some more details about what has been coming out in the aftermath of um, this initial revival that took place at Asbury University. And then I want to talk a little bit about what we're hearing inside of the conversation in the church and hopefully provide a little bit of clarity, a little bit of balance, so that we don't run the risk of hyper-isolating ourselves inside of, of one school of thought and, and ignore the broader picture. So to begin, I want to actually share um, a testimony of um, a woman that posted something regarding the revival on Twitter. So I'm going to read through it and then we'll start to kind of look at and dissect what the conversation is that's happening inside of the church and then uh, talk about how we can avoid hyper-isolation inside of specific thought patterns and instead try to look at this in a balanced way or with a balanced approach. So this is from um, a woman named Sarah Baldwin. She posted this on Twitter. Um, she made note here that there is no more revival services at Asbury or sponsored by Asbury. Day 18, we are returning to ordinary life, which is just as full of God as the last 17 days, just a bit more quiet. I'm sure we have a lifetime of journaling, prayer, and deep conversation ahead. Throughout the days, as we passed each other in the halls and outside, we kept saying to each other, can you believe this? Is this really happening? As theologians and, well, everyone everywhere, name and debate what it was and wasn't, what I do know for sure is that people are longing for God. I don't want to forget the Latino family, grandpa, dad, uncle, kids, mama, who when they made it into Hughes after what must have been a wait of hours, didn't even go to their seats. They went immediately to the altar and collapsed in front of it. We saw this again and again. I want to remember the family who drove 30 hours each way from Mexico for someone to pray over their baby for healing. My heart is broken with the 18 men who piled into a 15-person passenger van for nine hours to pray at an altar for even 30 minutes. Holding in my heart the time of prayer with an Indian pastor and his wife Diana from the United Kingdom interceding for their country and their campuses. Who can forget the Brazilians? They showed up, their passionate prayers for their country, all the Brazilian flags, although graciously put away when we asked, just too many people for all the flags. The story of a police officer who was so moved that he got in a family with two younger kids who had been fasting through the lines uh, and waits out of his sheer compassion. As a mom of a daughter with special needs, the families who brought their children for prayer for medical issues just broke my heart. Their faith, their desperation, I feel it with them, 
I will continue to pray for Alina. Trying to communicate through an app with a couple in, Portug uh, in Portuguese. Making a mental note, next time we need to be prepared for interpreters. Kidding, kidding about the next time. Remembering the pastor couple from Chile who sold their car to be here and strangers passing on money. Can you give it to the lady who sold the car? Yes. I want to remember people giving what they had. We had no donation box set up, so they handed it to us. Thank you, thank you, people said. This is what I have to give, whether it was a nickel or a hundred dollars. So many high schoolers praying for relief from the bondage of pornography. Parents, step in. Take away phones. Keep them out of bedrooms. Your children are desperate. A joyful group from a church in San Diego, so full of joy of being here. Thank you for your encouragement. Praying with a team from Canada who were full of stories of God on the move in Canada and how God moved on their drive down. I want to remember the WhatsApp thread, 101 notifications at a time. Water needed in Estes. Is there a prayer volunteer out, uh, for out in the line? Porta potties overflowing. Ten people give their gave their hearts to Jesus here. The huge Jesus flag needs to come down. What's that ambulance for? It's 30 degrees out here. Heaters are on the way. The Salvation Army showed up. Thank you, Jesus. Mostly I will remember our relationships between one another on the ground team, <coughs> the volunteer team, and the ministry team. Revival runs on the track of relationships. As one of our retired professors said, we were surprised, but not unprepared. We are a small community who loves Jesus deeply. We weren't ready, but yet we were. God is like that. So I wanted to share that because um, in looking through social media and looking through comments on what people are saying regarding this, I found that um, there really was a lot of this tendency to hyper-isolate inside of what I would say are people's own pre preconceived notions about what it was that was taking place. And those preconceived notions can blind us to the truth of what is actually taking place. So I, I wanted to come on here and illuminate some things about this. You're going to see both the kingdom of darkness, or I don't even want to call it a kingdom, the empire of darkness, if you will, contend against the kingdom of God. It's always going to be like that. You're never going to find a movement that is completely perfect, and certainly not when you start to measure perfection by what it is that people with preconceived notions or denominational differences are measuring that perfection. See, when we start to measure it by what we think, not what we know to be true in the scriptures, but instead by what we think, then we have to ask ourselves, am I actually looking at this situation through the lens of God 
Or am I looking at the situation through the lens of my own heart, which we know is subject to contending with flesh? It's subject to contending with the world. It's subject to contending with sin. The highest order in perceiving these things is by saying, I, I seek to perceive it from the Lord's standpoint instead of my own. I, I've said this before and I, I will say it again. I am a firm believer that one of the first things that we have to do when we come into that relationship with Christ is we have got to examine ourselves. We have to analyze our pain. We have to analyze our frustrations. We have to analyze our offenses. We don't analyze them through the lens of the world, though. We analyze those things through what the Word of God is telling us. We measure our life on a daily basis. We measure our life sometimes on a minute-by-minute basis, sometimes even seconds, because that's the nature of walking this walk living this life with Jesus by our side. We constantly do that, and we constantly do that because we do contend with the empire of darkness. We do contend with sin. But the answer to that has always been to live our life measuring ourselves with Christ as our benchmark in all things. It is through his order that we find the correct path forward that we're to take. But if we don't take the measures, if we don't take the steps to analyze our own self, to analyze our pains, to analyze our hurts, to analyze our frustrations, then we are going to be looking at other things in this life through a lens that is skewed because our vision without Christ is skewed. So with this with this uh, dialogue that's happening around the revival, I'm seeing things uh, like people expressing their their desire to proceed with an abundance of caution. That in itself tells me more about what's in the heart of the person than it does about what the reality of the situation is. I see some pastors, uh, unfortunately, a little too quick to dismiss what is taking place as part of uh, flaws found in specific denominations. And I'm not going to get into all the denominational differences. I'm not going to do that here. I, it's, it's way too much to get into. Instead, I'm going to draw out what it is uh, the points inside of this that are that are causing such contention. And so with this particular situation, what I see instead is I, I see this uh, it, it seems to be a little bit too quick to rush into what we think about what is taking place as opposed to sitting back and asking God what is taking place. Sometimes we do rush into things. Sometimes we're a little bit too quick to enter into a type of uh, wanting to understand what's going on. And 
the where we find wisdom is when we can slow down and we can say, God, I need to I need to measure this through you. I need to run this by you because because I'm aware that of the fact that I don't know all the the complexities, all of the dynamics that go into this. So since I'm on the subject of complexities and dynamics, I want to I want to kind of uh, I want to kind of dig into that concept a little bit. We can have a plethora of information at our disposal in any given situation, but we're talking about Asbury, so we'll stick with Asbury. We can have a plethora of information that comes out as a result of everything that took place with um, what happened at Asbury University. But just because we have a plethora of information about it doesn't mean that we have enough to inform a decision regarding opinions about it. So even when we think that we have enough information to proceed with forming an, uh, a, what we think is an understanding about a situation, it doesn't always mean that we do have what we need in order to interpret it correctly. So that's the first thing that we have to err on the side of caution with when it comes to this. Because we also have to remember that we can't put God inside of a box. He is the creator of everything. Anytime we start to put him inside of a box, actually we see it demonstrated quite clearly in scripture. When we uh, look at the account of what took place between Jesus and the Pharisees, the Pharisees had God inside of a box. It was inside of a box that they had put him in. It wasn't inside of a box of truth. It didn't represent truth. So in much of their approach with Jesus, all of it was framed off of what they perceived to be true inside of this box that they had put God inside of. Even when we look at the millennial kingdom that's depicted in the book of Revelation, there's a whole lot of information that's missing, right? There's a whole lot of details to be filled inside of that space. We don't know what that is yet because the time has not yet come for that. When the time comes for that, we will have understanding, just like when the time came for Jesus to go to the cross. Uh, then understanding of the complexities of the cross was birthed. The understanding of the complexities of the Messiah was birthed. We also have to keep in mind that there are appointed times for things to happen that God has ordained. So even if you have a church that, that seems to be advertising revival this Sunday, it doesn't mean that revival will not happen because people are trying to force it to happen. That's not how God works. So we have to be very cautious in, uh, in perhaps dismissing the legitimacy of these things simply because we don't have full understanding of the dynamics of it. Even if something is uh, promoted or scheduled as being revival, even if something is set up in that way, it does not, it doesn't, mean that God's not going to meet people in that space. In fact, you could argue the opposite. 
You could argue that God's moved by their faith to keep pursuing him for something like that. See what I mean about not confining God to a box? This is why it's also important to not rush, like the world rushes at trying to define all of these things right as, as it happens. There's wisdom in slowing down. There was, there's wisdom in saying, let's wait and see what fruits start to manifest inside of this. Let's wait and see what kinds of things start to flow from this. Let's wait and see what kinds of testimonies come from it instead of rushing into stating that this is this or this is not this. There's a whole lot of that kind of stuff that has taken place with, with trying to better understand what's taken place at Asbury University. So I just I wanted to lean, lean into it beginning with this conversation about, about really being careful about what it is that we're talking about here. I even saw somebody on Twitter uh, recently make highly speculative comments regarding what these students were actually after. With all respect that is due, with all respect that is due, God is the one who knows everything about your heart individually and about your mind individually. Anytime that we start to make presum presumptive statements like, like claiming that this is what these students are after without having direct conversation with them, then you're completely off the mark. And I can understand why it's happening in the culture because the culture is heading in the wrong direction. Clearly, it's heading in the wrong direction. But even the culture heading in the wrong direction is one of the markers of this being a legitimate move of God. Look, when we look at is something a legitimate move of God, we have to look at it through the lens of Scripture. We have to look at it through the lens of confirmation. Does, is God confirming um, original works? Is God confirming uh, things that he's doing or saying inside of this? Is he confirming it in a way that is impossible for us to orchestrate in our own strength? Is he confirming it in a way that can only be attributed to his work? And we need to proceed with an abundance of caution when we start to analyze the fruits of the brethren. It's not wisdom to rush to conclusions or make statements about other people and what the motive of their heart is when you are not God. I am not God. This is an error, and it's a grievous error, and it's not just a grievous error against those people. It's also an error, a grievous error against God. We have to also be very, very uh, aware of what it is that we are doing when we make accusations and delegitimize what an, a person is going through spiritually when that person is covered under a blood covenant by Jesus. Jesus said, 
And John, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. This is something that the church, by and large, does not have a full understanding of. Or even, even, I mean, it's sad to say this, but even a somewhat solid understanding of. Because if the church did, then we would not see apostasy inside of it. If the church did, we would not see such a falling away from the faith. If the church did, then you would not see people who profess to be believers making accusations against brethren that are largely inflammatory accusations. When you are putting yourself in the judge's seat saying that you know the motive of their heart and you don't, none of us do. Only God himself does. There is a course correction that is happening inside of the church, which is one of the reasons why this revival is taking place. I see the markers of God inside of it. And when we take a step back from ourselves and we truly let Jesus lead our lives, and the Holy Spirit come upon us with his power and his authority, well then, we start to look at these things very, very differently. We start to understand that there is wisdom in not rushing to conclusions. We start to understand that there is wisdom in not putting ourselves on a throne that only belongs to God. We start to understand that there is wisdom in making sure that we analyze our own self and what is inside of our own heart before we lend our voices to a larger narrative. It's not just people that we're interacting with. It's also God. We should look at the consequences of our actions through this reverential fear of, God, I want to make really sure that when I walk this walk, that I'm not contending against you and what it is that you're doing. No, no, instead, Father, I want to align myself with your will. I want your will to be the dominant driver in my life. I want to know your love in a way that is true and not so misrepresented in this world and not so distorted by Satan, the enemy. So when I looked at all of these comments, and there's a lot of comments, I'm just highlighting a few here. The predominant thing that I saw inside of it is that this is very much paralleling what Jesus was faced with in his day when he came as Messiah. Uh, forgive me, when he, came, when he came announcing himself as Messiah. It's that Pharisee spirit that he contended with, and it was a battle. But as Ephesians says, Ephesians 6.12, that we need to understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So even with what's taking place inside of this, the order is to course correct because every single one of the people that have been born onto this earth 
God has loved every single one of them. And it's his perfect will, as he clearly says, that all would be saved and none would perish. So we have to understand that part of the application of God's love is that. We have to look at other people, whether they are being led astray or not. We have to look at other people through the lens of Jesus and say, what is it that God would want me to do to either help this person or, or whatever? What is it that God would have me do? I heard people, uh, or sorry, excuse me, I read even some people uh, t diminishing the uh, dedication of these people that were traveling from long distances. And their argument was, well, the Holy Spirit abides in the life of all believers who accept Jesus as Lord. And yes, that is true. Yes, that is absolutely true. God wants a one-on-one -on -one individual relationship with each one of us. But we don't know what the work is that God is doing inside of that person's heart. We don't know what the nature of their walk is. We don't know what it is that God is, is trying to do inside of their life. We don't know where they're at in their faith. We don't know any of those dynamics. So who are we to question it? We err greatly when we do so. We can't put ourselves in the seat of God. We can't put ourselves on the throne and presume to know if something is real or not real because it doesn't look the way that we think it should look. That's reminiscent of the religious groups that Jesus went up against in his day. We can't do that. We should never, ever put ourselves on a throne that only belongs to God. So instead, we have, to, we have to become teachable. We have to become teachable. We have to really inquire after the Lord. Really let Him take that heart of stone that's in us and give us a heart of flesh. We have to be willing to be the clay vessel in the potter's hands as he molds us and shapes us into what it is that he wants us to be. And in doing that, we find that the world falls away, that the sin nature falls away. The more we abide in that presence, the more we walk through that, that process with him and stay there with him, and we start to see things differently. Instead of delegitimizing a person because of a person's own lack of understanding about why somebody would travel 30 hours to go to a place, instead, no, we take a step back and we understand that there is no way for us to know what, is God, what God is doing inside of that person's heart there is no way for us to know where that person is at in their walk of faith. And we should also be very mindful of the fact that we wouldn't want other people to do that to us.
And if we're not mindful of that fact, then the church is in a sadder state of, of a sadder condition that, than I think most people in the church realize. But that is one of the things that makes revival possible. If judgment begins in the house of the Lord, and we know that it does, then so too does revival. Revival is about returning to our first love and truly loving him. It is about saying, Jesus, I don't have the answers. I've told you that I made you Lord of my life, but, but I tried to control too much of it. No, instead, I live this life for you. I live this life to please you. I live this life to be of service to you and of service to others. We, we must be abundantly cautious in ever attempting to analyze the fruits of another individual. There's way too much information that we lack to be rushing to conclusions about people that are driven to drive to areas. It's just too much assumptions and assumptions typically come back to teach us a lesson. But even as I say these things, I'm also cognizant of the fact that this, this uh, shaking up of the church is a good thing. And that every single one of us is on a path that God has ordained for our life. And every single one of us has things in our life that God is working on in us. And he wants to create a more perfect vessel. But we have to demonstrate compassion to one another as he does so. Now, when I look at the scriptures, I see that it's always in times of great darkness when God moves. It's always in the times when there's hopelessness. It's always in the times when, when people think there's nothing left. And if there's nothing left, then what is there to live for? It's always times of spiritually deep uh, despair in a culture. It's always times of deep darkness when God shows up and he changes everything. And it's always remarkable. It always turns us back to our first love. And then when we get into the dynamics of awakening, now, there, uh, there's a certain uh, part of, you know, there, oh, let me say it this way, there is a certain belief system that is well known for that terminology, great awakening or awakening. And um, I'm not going to focus on the, de on the belief system or denomination or anything like that. I, I really don't want to get into all of that. Um, because here's the thing. 
no matter what religious organization we're looking at or what denomination we're looking at, we can be assured of one thing. There are problems, there are flaws inside of each one. There are also really good things as well. So when we analyze the church and the denominations of the church, we have to, be, we, we have to remember that. Just because there might be flaws and you understand what those flaws are does not mean that there's zero legitimacy to the organization. So we have to be cautious of those things because we can miss things that God is actually doing because of the way we perceive things to be. So having said that, uh, this particular belief system is known for using that terminology of great awakening or awakening. Regardless, we can see evidence of that kind of thing actually taking place in the scriptures. So our Bible tells us or shows us the example of what this, the same kind of look or the same kind of dynamic that you would find in a Great Awakening description. History records these things as a Great Awakening as well. These are things that we should take as food for thought and pray about. In my estimation, what happened at Asbury University is going to go down in history as being the spark that lit the Third Great Awakening. Remember what my words are. It's going to go down in history as being the spark that lit the Third Great Awakening. Regardless of what you want to call it, whether you want to call it an awakening or an outpouring, the fruit that is on display is exemplifying fruits of the Holy Spirit and it is fitting the criteria of an outpouring. In an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, as we see depicted in the, books, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 17, as we see depicted there, it's the apostle accounts. It's when you see this going out into the nations of the world and calling sinners to repentance. Does Asbury exemplify fruits of that? Yes. It has served as the launch pad for reaching out into corners of the earth that we are only beginning to, or we, we are only at the beginning stages of fully understanding or seeing. Why is it happening now? Now, I've told you that things, things like this happen throughout the scriptures. You can see a, a pattern that's formed when great darkness comes and God enters into the situation and completely changes it. But why is it happening? We have so many things that are going on that are completely consistent with what Jesus said would happen in the end prior to his return. And that is why this is happening. Because in order for a bride to have made herself ready to meet her husband, 
she must go through the process of being revived so that those imperfections can be dealt with, so that they can be made white. The bride is being made ready to meet her king. So I'll leave you with that regarding this. And I would just close by saying, <clears throat> I, I really, really strongly encourage everybody to analyze first your own heart and to remember the commandment that Jesus gave for us to love one another. But in order for us to love one another, we really have to know what it is or how it is that God defines love, how he shows us love. We have to really understand that first before we can truly demonstrate it to others. We're going to make mistakes along the way. That's the nature of this battle that we're in. It's good versus evil. But we see God calling people to repentance over and over again. People that believed in him, he called to repentance over and over again. So the way that I live my life is with that repentance in mind. Because as you get further down into the complexities of all of this, When we disobey God, that too is sin. But in order for us to understand how to obey Him, we have to really understand Him. We have to really understand His Word. We have to really have relationship with Him. That is a process. It's a process that we are all going through on different levels, but that's why we're commanded to love one another. We sometimes make the mistake of lending a little bit too much power to what could go wrong or what could happen with sin that we don't want in our lives when we could be lending so much of our time and energy and attention to how to increase what it is that God's doing or how to participate with what it is that God is doing. I think sometimes we miss opportunities because we're so focused on We're so focused on the speck in a brother's eyes that we don't realize that there's a log in our own. And that's not the place that the Lord wants us to be. He even said, don't compare yourselves to one another. I mean, it truly is about saying, God, I want to know what the path is that you have for my life. You're not to measure yourself 
by another person's walk with God. It's all about pursuing Him with a true heart, with a heart full of love for Him, with a heart that is full of wanting to do right by Him, wanting to please Him. You're going to continue to see this, this spiritual conflict take place, especially as it grows, because Satan, when the Holy Spirit shows up, Satan immediately rushes in to abort the blessing. We see that in Jesus' life. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they had to flee to Egypt because of what Herod was doing, which was ultimately the spirit of Satan behind it. It was Satan who didn't want the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. So how did he attempt to negate it? To cut it off before it could happen. He understood the threat. He didn't understand all of the, all of the dynamics that went into it. So all of like how it would all play out. Obviously, he's not omniscient. But he understood the threat. And he immediately rushed in to try to abort the blessing. We see similar fruits on display here. We see a very obvious parallel with what Jesus went up against with the Pharisees. And I, I want to close this with one final thought on this. There is something different that takes place when a group of believers are gathered together. So while we do have the Holy Spirit that abides in us, that indwells within us, and we have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, there is something very different that takes place when we are gathered together with a single, a single goal, right? A single mind to worship and love, love, truly love Him. There's an immense amount of power that's on display there. I sometimes wonder what it is people envision when they envision the millennial kingdom and how it's going to operate or how the complexities of heaven operates. And I would venture a guess and say that there are probably a lot of things that people assume about that that are not actually applicable to it. That's a good thing. We need to remain teachable. We need to remain in a humble posture before the Lord. We need to remember He is God. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. When a group of believers comes together on such a large platform, 
There's a natural amplification that takes place. It's happened to me. I've experienced it. I've traveled distances to experience something. I wasn't looking for the experience. I was looking to understand the dynamics that were at play inside of it. And it's in that kind of uh, blank slate, if you will, that I learned a lot. I learned some good things and I learned some bad things. But I also, I also experienced what it was like to have the Holy Spirit show up in a body of believers. And it was exceptionally powerful. So I hope that this has helped kind of um, maybe helped everybody take a step back and really try to look at this with a balanced approach. When we are looking at what's going on, when we're looking at all these things that take place, we have to, we have to measure our heart first and make sure that, uh, that we're really looking at this through a lens that is as clear as possible. Because if we rush into something and we start making accusations about things, then we do run the real risk, the very real risk of not being in alignment with God's will. So I'll, ju I'll just conclude. I'm sorry, I know I've said that already, but I'll just conclude with this, with this last thought. The Holy Spirit has been pouring out throughout the entirety of the church age. So if I were to describe this in one simple way, I would describe it as the latter-day outpouring of God's Holy Spirit, meaning the time frame that puts us in proximity to right before a dispensational change. And I would encourage everybody, examine your heart. I do it too. We all need to do it. Examine your heart and then ask or pursue God with a fervent love and desire to want to be obedient to him, to want to please him. Pursue him with everything that you've got, with all of your energy and all of your strength. You're put here by him at this time because it's the, the time that he has appointed you to be here. And he has plans for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And he wants to bless you inside of it. He wants to... His favor, he wants to have his favor upon you inside of it. But the first place that all of that originates from is our humble posture before him. And then saying, I want to live my life the way that Jesus taught us to live our lives. And in doing so, he draws near. He draws closer. 
All right. I hope that this has been a blessing. And um, I mean, stay tuned because I think there's going to be more information to be shared about this. I think there's going to be some interesting things that take place as a result of this. And I want to, uh, I just want, I want a closing thought. Revival is something that we should always have inside of our hearts. We should always have it inside of our hearts, just like repentance. We always should have that mindset of, I submit myself to you, God. I submit myself to you, God. I submit myself to you, God. I want your will to be exercised, to be demonstrated, to saturate the entirety of my walk. And he'll meet you there, as only he can. God bless you, and I will see you next time.